here on these Sunday mornings in the New Testament, I thought it would be fun today to dive back into the Old Testament. In fact, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, the long book of Genesis, to get us ready thinking about the Old Testament. And not just Genesis, but the last chapter, part of the last chapter, chapter 50 of the book of Genesis and the last verses of Genesis, Genesis 50, verses 15 through 26. Now, in this story, we're going to pick up the story. Uh, They'll say, realizing that their father was dead, that is Jacob, their father, and the the brothers are Joseph's brothers. These are the 12 sons of Jacob. Genesis 15, 15 through 26. Realizing that their father was dead, Joseph's brothers said, what if Joseph still bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong that we did to him? So they approached Joseph saying, your father gave this instruction before he died. Say to Joseph, I beg you, forgive the crime of your brothers and the wrong they did in harming you. Now, therefore, please forgive the crime of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also wept, fell down before him, and said, We are here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good, in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. In this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were also born on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So Joseph made the Israelites swear, saying, When God comes to you, you shall carry up my bones from here. And Joseph died, being 110 years old, He was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let us pray. Lord, on this Sunday in your sanctuary, as we read your word and study your word together, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So yes, we're going to dive for a bit back into the, uh, the stories of the Old Testament. And uh, as I was preparing for this, I looked at an old book I have. I looked, it was written in 1999. It was by Philip Yancey. Philip Yancey was kind of one of my favorite authors from that time period, late 90s, early 2000s. I see a few head nods out there. And this one was called The Bible Jesus Read. I think it's a great title because you think about it. It's about the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the Bible that Jesus read. It is the Hebrew Bible. It's the story of the Jewish people. But because Jesus was a Jew, he knew the Old Testament, possibly or probably memorized it. Jesus quoted it often. 
He said that he fulfilled the prophets and the law. It is our Bible too. But it's unique in that it's, it's very real. Philip Yancey said about the Old Testament, it portrays the world as it is, no holds barred. You will find passionate stories of love and hate, honest tales of high honor and the cruel treachery of war. So before we look into the life of David, which is certainly full of uh, passion and hate and realism as well, let's take a look today into the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. I'm going to do a quick overview of Genesis to get us up to speed all the way up to Genesis chapter 50. So at the start, in those first 11 chapters, we see the creation story. We see Noah and the ark, and we see the tower of Babel. In the creation story, we see how God wants to rule the world through human beings made in his image, but there's a problem. The problem is the human beings made in God's image because they sin. They take something that was perfect and make it imperfect. Then we have God restarting things through a flood, and he chooses Noah's family and part of the creation to be saved on the ark. But the people mess up again. They're building a tower of of Babel, trying to build their way to heaven instead of depending on God, so he scatters them about the earth, which leads us then to Genesis 12. So again, Genesis 1 through 11, creation, Noah, Tower of Babel, and then 12 through 36, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we read even in Genesis 12, Abraham is blessed to be a blessing. We meet Abraham and Sarah right at the end of chapter 11, where God promises then in chapter 12 a nation to Abraham, and he makes a covenant with him. Basically, God says, I will be your God, and you will be my people. I will bless you. In fact, Abraham will be blessed to be a blessing. God says he will eventually bless the entire world through Abraham's family. So God, again, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the patriarchs, the leaders of the Jewish family and the Jewish world. The the blessing will be that someday even that family will lead up to the line of David, and then we're promised, and what we see in the New Testament is Jesus is in that line of David, our Messiah, Messiah, and so God blesses the whole world through him. Jacob has 12 sons. His favorite, we read, is Joseph, which leads us to Genesis 37 through 50. We were, again, here's Genesis 1 through 11, creation, Noah, the Tower of Babel, 12 through 36, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, blessed to be a blessing. And then in 37 through 50, we read about Joseph and his brothers. We're going to read, we read it just a moment ago, we'll read again, you intended it for harm, but God intended it for good. So Joseph, and that's who we read about in Genesis 50, is the 11th of Jacob's 12 sons. He was his favorite at least until Benjamin came along, and Benjamin was also his favorite as well. Uh, Joseph, if you remember, if you've seen the musical, he had the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, which is kind of a fun, older musical that you may have seen. But the story is that Joseph was the favorite. His father gave him this beautiful colored coat, which Joseph wore, and since he was the baby brother, they hated him for that, that he was very much the favorite. And then Joseph had a dream where his brothers would all bow down to him one day. So 
Don't know if this was a mistake or not, but hey, it's there that Joseph did it. He goes out into the fields and he tells them his dream. It's like, I had a dream that one day all of you, my older brothers, are going to bow down to him. So not only did they hate him because he was the father's favorite, he was their baby brother, but now he's saying, you're going to bow down to me. So they hatch a plan right out there in the fields to kill him. They're going to throw him into a cistern, which they drew, which is like a large natural well of water. And they do throw him down there. And then they decide, well, maybe we shouldn't kill him. So they pull him back out. Some people are coming along. They sell him into slavery. The people that are coming along take him to Egypt, where he's accused of a crime. He's jailed unfairly for several years. And then finally, Joseph interprets the dreams of Pharaoh and becomes Pharaoh's leader at his right hand. And then when drought and famine come to the land, as was predicted, his brothers come to Egypt. And part of that long story of 37 through 50, Joseph is able to save his family, which leads us to the end of chapter 50. Jacob was an old man, the patriarch of the family, the father of the 12 sons, the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, and he dies. Now, the brothers claim their dad said to Joseph to be instructed to forgive them. Now, whether Jacob actually said this or not, we don't know. They could have been, used, hey, dad told us to tell you this before he died. They may, he may or may not said this. But the, the, the brothers are saying this because they are afraid. They are afraid for their very lives from Joseph. So here we see fear and we see unbelief. The unbelief is that Joseph had demonstrated to his brothers that he loved them. He had cared for them for 17 years. If we count back, it's been 17 years since they came down to Egypt. And he has cared for them, he has provided for them. But now that their father has died, they fear that Joseph will turn on them and seek revenge. So what does Joseph do? It says, Joseph wept. Joseph wept in their presence. And he goes on to say, don't be afraid. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for, for good, for the saving of many lives. Now, let's stop there in that part of the story. And that's what I love about uh, the Bible. You know, as Philip Yancey talked about in the Bible Jesus read and about the Old Testament is it's raw, it's real, and it's emotional. These aren't cardboard cutout characters. They are flawed characters. Joseph has been through struggle and pain. He's, he's been in jail. The brothers are, are sinners, and they are flawed. There's favoritism, anger, and fear, forgiveness, and weeping. And there's also consequences of sin. When we talk about the fact that we too are flawed, that we sin, and we can be forgiven, and we are forgiven through Christ. But there are consequences for sin. Think about the brothers. When they threw him down the cistern, they, they sold him into slavery. They've now lost contact with their brother. They, they're probably wondering for years and years what happened to him. They go back and tell their father. They, they put blood on his coat and give it back to the father. Uh, Jacob goes into tremendous grieving, the Bible tells us, probably even into depression. So they've done this terrible thing to their father as well. And then they live in fear, apparently for decades, for at least the 17 years they were in Egypt, thinking about, will Joseph turn on us? Will he seek 
revenge. Those are all the consequences of their choices, of their sin. Some people today question the validity of the Bible, but I do not. I think one of the things that I like about the Bible that helps make it more real and that we can believe in it is the reality and the flaws and the humanness of the characters here. And I think it's another one of those stories, and really throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see people who are like us. We see the heroes of the Bible. See, these are the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel and have been through sin and struggle and are flawed. And it gives me encouragement that I'm flawed and I can relate to the people that we read about here. I think in old movies and stories and books, it's nice and, and fun to read about heroes. I think especially about movies because they're, they're, they're short, they're two hours or so, and they have to kind of get through the story quickly, unlike a book which takes you longer to read. And so I like to read about heroes and stories. And oftentimes, I think especially in movies, um, there's, there can be a little bit of a formula. Heroes win villains sin. Heroes win, villains sin. Heroes are good, villains are evil. So again, we see that heroes win, villains sin. Heroes are good, villains are evil. Not, not perfectly like that, but it's a little bit of a formula for some movies. I don't know about you, but when I was young, I remember going to the movie theaters and seeing the first uh, trilogy of Star Wars movies, uh, Luke Skywalker, Skywalker versus Darth Vader and the Stormtroopers, and even the movies that have come out later in the past years. And in the Avengers movies today, I watched some of the, uh, the Avengers movies with a couple of my uh, adult children now when they were home for Christmas, even the Avengers Endgame when the, the good guys finally win uh, over the villains they face. And I'll also tell you, over the month of December, as I watched some other movies, I'll confess that I watched my share of Hallmark Christmas movies. Yes, I did. Now, let me say, uh, a lot of times when my wife and daughter like to turn on Hallmark Christmas movies, I may go to the other room and watch a basketball game or a football game, but I also spend time uh, checking out the Hallmark Christmas movies, and I have to tell you, I kind of like them. I'm like, what, what do I like about them, and what do people like about the Hallmark Channel movies? And, and I've read recently that the Hallmark Channel is growing in viewers while some other traditional channels are losing viewers. And I think why is because people believe that many people are craving something that is a little more wholesome, that has a happy ending. People feel they have enough drama in their own lives throughout the day, and so watch something where the, the heroes really do turn out to be heroic, that people love each other, and the ending is good, they like that. There's also a problem with Hallmark movies is that sometimes they're just too sugary sweet and they're not real enough because we know we've been around enough that life is full of struggle. Life is full of mistakes, that we also have fears as the characters do here in Genesis 50, that we also mess up, that we also need forgiveness. So instead of, a, of an easy formula of heroes win and villains sin, I think the truth is that real people sin, that, that all people sin. And as I was looking at Genesis 50 and thinking about the characters there, some of the, the major characters of really the entire Bible are there in Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob and then Joseph and his brothers. These are some of the heroes of the Bible. And so I thought about it's, it's more likely to look like this, that God's people sin, God's people weep, as we read in Genesis 50, God's people receive forgiveness, and hopefully God's people forgive. And I think we can re- replace all those things with God's people with we. We sin, we weep, we receive forgiveness when we ask Jesus for forgiveness, and hopefully we forgive others. Again, remember, Joseph's brothers talked about killing him. They threw him in a well or a cistern. They sold him into slavery. Then they lied to their father about all of it. Now, that's sin. Now, we sin too, maybe not to that extreme, but we mess up, and sometimes we are messed up as they were. And as a Christian and as a fellow human being with the characters in the Bible and a fellow human being with all of you, maybe I won't put you in my camp totally, but I think you're there, I know that I mess up and that sometimes I am messed up and I need help. So one of the things I have found to be true probably since my late 20s is is to learn sometimes when I need help is to ask for help. And so I would say on several occasions over the last uh, three decades, I have entered into therapeutic counseling with licensed mental health counselors. All, I think every time from Christian counseling groups, various ones, uh, both here in the Indianapolis area as well as other, a couple other places I have lived. I've also regularly met with spiritual directors here at ZPC. I know I've already seen some of them in the hallways here this morning. They're around. If you need to talk with a spiritual director, I can recommend some to you, and I found that helpful as well. There's been various times in my life, again, as I said, I've recognized I've needed help, sometimes more for spiritual help or direction, other times for grief counseling, or other times just for counseling for various issues in my life. Now, I remember being younger, and I met with one therapist who I really liked and and shared that I felt a little embarrassed at uh, meeting with a counselor, that there must be something drastically wrong with me. And she said, she, you know, Scott, um, think of it as maintenance. You know, you're driving your car and a red light comes on the dashboard. Uh, hopefully, uh, eventually, you're going to take that car into the shop and say, I need help with my car. There's something not right with it. She says, Scott, likewise, in your personal life, In your emotional life, maybe even in your spiritual life, um, when the red light comes on, ask for help. So I think I've really learned, and I think even more recently, as we've seen in our nation, I think with the time of the pandemic, and I would say even before the time of the pandemic, that our nation is really dealing with a mental health crisis. And so I don't think it's a sign of weakness or embarrassment to ask for help, but I really think it's a sign of strength. Say, I can't do this life on my own. I need other sisters and brothers in Christ to help me. I need people maybe who have more training than me to help me and to ask for help. Because we mess up, and there are times when we are messed up. As with Joseph's brothers, God cares deeply for us. And so I think there's triple good news in this story. I've shared before, I'm a glass half full guy, so I'm looking for good news in this story. First, 
The characters in the Bible are flawed, which gives me hope for me, I think, and for you. I struggle, and I like knowing the heroes of the Bible had their flaws as well. Second, God cares for them, and God redeems them. Even in the story here in Genesis 50, God uses Joseph to redeem them, but God forgives. And now that we have Jesus, we know we can go directly to Jesus to ask for forgiveness when we mess up or when we are messed up that God forgives us, God redeems us. That's second. And then third, that God can use us. God used Joseph, and I do think Joseph was very heroic, a very heroic character when you read his whole story there in Genesis 37 through 50. But if God can use Joseph, God can use other people in the Bible, God can use flawed people, he can use us as well. When Joseph hears that his brothers are afraid and they don't believe he has forgiven them, he weeps. I think there could be a couple of reasons why he weeps. It could be out of sadness that he realizes he forgave them 17 years ago, and for some reason they've never gotten over it. They've been afraid of him, and they fear that he will take revenge on them. Or maybe he weeps because he is touched, because they have shown great humility. They come before him and they ask for forgiveness. And they even, it says, bow down, bow down or fall down before him. Here's where Joseph brings God into this part of the story, and Joseph acts with God's help. It's in verse 19 through 21 again. I'll read that again. But Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Even though you intended to do harm to me, God intended it for good in order to preserve a numerous people as he is doing today. So have no fear. I myself will provide for you and your little ones. And in this way, he reassured them, speaking kindly to them. So Joseph shows grace and leadership and forgiveness and responding to his brothers this way. I think it's a theme and maybe a slightly different way that we here in the New Testament as well, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is in Romans 8. And part of it, it's one verse, says this in Romans 8 where Paul writes, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works for good for those who love him. We know both in the Old Testament and New that God is with us through our struggles, through our pain, through our sin, and that God wants to bring good out of your life to raise you up and to move forward as Joseph did in his life. And also see that Joseph sees the bigger picture of God's faithfulness. Joseph doesn't get stuck in where he's been hurt. He, he remembers it. He says he remembers it to his brothers, but he doesn't get stuck there. Instead of languishing in jail as he did for years and, and, and languishing in the past, he gets out, he gets to interpret the dreams of the Pharaoh and is rewarded by Pharaoh. So he sees God's goodness, God's hand in this, and he wants to share it with his brothers. Many years ago at ZPC, kind of in my early years at ZPC, I heard the quote that we want 2020 vision physically in our eyes, but that we should also have a 50 20 vision because this verse, specific verse, is Genesis 50 20. You intended to harm me, or you intended it for harm, but God intended it 
for good. That's something that we can take with us today as well. Joseph shows us in many ways what it is like to be a person who follows God in some ways foreshadows Jesus, if I can take that a little bit of a stretch. Joseph is sinned against by his brothers. He forgives. He sees the bigger picture, and he helps to save many lives in in one way, really saving the future nation of Israel during this great famine by bringing his family to Egypt and, and by providing for them. He keeps his eye on the bigger picture that God is intending to use him for good. We too are flawed people, but we are God's people. One of the things I like to say is that we are sinners. I'm a sinner. We are sinners in need of a Savior. We will struggle and fail in this life and the world, but these things here are true as well. If we're going to look at these, God's people fail. God's people get back up when they fail with God's help. And God's people, you, me, if available to God, we can do great things. And after I wrote that, I wanted to add, we can do small things. And sometimes the small things that we do that don't think are great, that God can use for good. And those small things can become great things. I was reading a devotional I liked this week, and it said this, just one line, Christianity works when Christians allow God to work through their lives. Again, Christianity works when Christians allow God to work through their lives. And one more, a pastor and mentor of mine used to say, I remember him saying this often, God cares more about your availability than your ability. And I've said that before, but I think it's, it's good to be repetitive on that. God cares more about your availability than your ability. We all have gifts. We all have abilities. But if you're available to be used by God, God will use your gifts, your abilities for good for him. The last verse of Genesis sounds like a little bit of a downer. It says, Joseph was placed in a coffin in Egypt, period. But that's not the end of the story. Joseph had asked his family to to take his bones, he says, back to Israel. And in Exodus 13, it says that Moses and the people carried Joseph's remains out of Egypt and eventually to Israel for burial. But even more than that, Joseph left a legacy as we read his story even today. He saved his family and really guaranteed, with God's help, the future of Israel. And people did not forget. We, too, can have a legacy when we are available to be used by God. Next week, get ready for a fun ride with David, flawed and gifted, from whom we can learn many things. But this week, remember, don't be afraid. Be available. You don't have to be a hero or a villain. Simply be a follower of Jesus. And with that, let us pray. Most loving God, we thank you for bringing us into this place. Lord, as it was dark this morning and cold as I arrived here, I thought of the goodness of coming into your house. Or Lord, for some of those who are joining us from their homes who can't be here for whatever reason or they're far long distance away, God, we are gathered together as your people to be encouraged again 
Though, God, we are flawed people, we are sinners in need of a Savior, you sent a Savior to be with us, that we don't have to be afraid, that we can ask for forgiveness, that we can say we're sorry, we can be available to you, and you will use us in this world. Help us then to be your followers. In Jesus' name, amen.